E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Jack Mason, the wine director at Marta on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? Great. How are you? Nice to see you, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. Me too. So you're originally from Texas. Yeah, I'm originally from Texas. Uh, I grew up in College Station, Texas, home of the fight Aggies. Um, and uh, what is an Aggie? An Aggie? I, it's for agricultural, I believe. I think that's where it started, but not quite sure. So, so there was some farming going on around. Where yeah. So Texas A&M is for agricultural mechanics. So that's what A&M means. So lots of farming going on down there. Um, we live on like uh, 120 acres. Your family's still there? Yeah, my family's still there. So, you know, country boy. <laughs> 120 acres? Yeah. Wow. I, like coming from the New York perspective, I can't even. Yeah. Everything is bigger in Texas, yeah, like huh? 100%, man. <laughs> Was that like a small place? Uh, yeah, it's it's average. Yeah. <laughs> What was your family like? I mean, what did they do? And stuff? So my uh, I my dad is a general surgeon and my okay. mom is actually a nurse. Um, but growing up, she didn't practice. But yeah, he, uh, after high school, we moved onto the property and my dad got some cows to, uh, you know, have a hobby and, you know, have fun with it. Be a real Texas boy. <laughs> is that true? Like you had cattle on the property? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Were there ever guys that came through and like, ride, like, <laughs> stuff like that? Like that no, no, it's more like, you know, repairing the fences, make sure the cows don't just walk away. <laughs> so it wasn't your job to like break stallions or anything? Uh, no, no stallions. Uh, we did, you know, do some ranching, you know, as far as like, you know, in immunizing the cows and all that sort of stuff. So that was interesting. Do you have to like search out like prairie dogs slash moles or that <laughs> no. kind of stuff? No, no moles, uh, coyotes every once in a while, but uh, there was not too many vermin around. Or probably anything around. <laughs> not much around at all. <laughs> How many people went to your school? Uh, well, my class was 600 people, so, I mean, it wasn't insignificant, but there's only one high school in the town, so. And you had to get bus to it for a while? Like, did it take you a while to get there? Yeah, I mean, we live about 20 minutes outside of the town, so, yeah, it'd take a little bit. What was it like growing up around a farm like that? Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't live there until like high school okay. and end of high school. So, but we've had the property prior and it was a lot of fun. You know, I was also involved with like Boy Scouts and all that sort of stuff. So I loved being outside and making fires and all that sort of stuff. So when we got some land, it was really awesome to be able to just play. Where did the restaurant part start to happen? So, yeah, I mean, I, growing up, uh, my grandfather and mother would cook a lot and that sort of thing. And I always thought it was really interesting and fun. And so I started getting more and more involved. And then like midway through high school, I was like, hey, I want to like get a job, you know, and see what this is really like, see if this is something I'd be interested in. So I ended up uh, looking, you know, the best restaurants around town and found the one, uh, Christopher's World Grill out in Bryan, Texas. And, uh, you know, got it. Ended the world up, grill. Yeah, right. the world. Yeah. <laughs> Not American, the world. <laughs> so uh, we, I, you know, ended up applying and they took me in. And a lot of the chefs there were pretty classically trained, went to CIA and that sort of a thing. And Oh, okay. So they knew what they were doing. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. And so I, you know, walking in there was just trying to get a sense and feel of what the kitchen was all about. You know, it's a much different perspective than what I thought. You know, it's a lot of work and that sort of thing. But it was always really interesting to me to see how to take a bunch of raw vegetables and turn them into something with some kind of sort of structure and that sort. So, it was... So, you worked in the kitchen? Doing mostly 
prep, obviously, at the first. Um, and one of the chefs kind of took me under his wing and started to allow me to play a little bit. He'd be like, hey, you know, go find a recipe that you want to make, bring it in, and let, let's make something. And, you know, he even would help me tweak stuff, and we ended up selling a special in the restaurant. So, you know, for a high school kid, that was pretty cool and fun to be able to see something that you kind of envision to then being sold in a dining room. Like you're like, whoa, that's crazy. So um, that was, that was a lot of fun. And they were the ones that kind of pushed me and said, Hey, you know, if you want to do this, you know, take it seriously, go to culinary school. And the school to go to is the CIA up in, in New York. And so I ended up leaving that job and moving to another kind of smaller, more family owned restaurant, but their, uh, their shtick was like having a wood fired oven. And so you know, oddly enough, now I'm at Marta with wood-fired pizzas. I my second culinary job was making pizzas at the pizza oven, and it was a lot of fun. I would run the station by myself, and it would get a little crazy. And but it was it was a lot of fun to learn about wood ovens. You know, so you went from world grill to wood grill. <laughs> exactly. It was it was a fun thing because making food, putting it in an oven, that's one thing. But controlling constantly the temperature and how to anticipate demand and that sort of thing. It was like, it's very dynamic. It's a lot of fun because it's like not just cooking, you're like creating an environment to cook in too. So that was through high school. And then I applied to uh, the CIA and I ended up getting in and I went a few months. You didn't, you didn't want to work for the FBI? No, no definitely the CIA. <laughs> no, no NSA, no. Department of Defense, DOD. Yeah, Homeland Security Island, <laughs> all that stuff. No, uh, so the the CIA was was my my vision my focus and you know I ended up thankfully getting in um, having a little bit of culinary experience working in high school so that was where I went there in October what was it like moving all the way to New York it was different well actually when I first went there I just I flew up there and then halfway through I ended up driving my car so it was rough like being in this really small town with no car and where'd you, you live know, like New Paltz or no we lived I lived on campus um but, you know, Hyde Park is very small. And if you don't have a car, like, you're kind of stuck. So, um, right. So, you know, coming from small town Texas, where the nicest thing was still just okay, it was, my mind was blown because it's exactly like what I wanted to do and see. And so, you know, I was uh, a pretty nerdy about school. That, I mean, the whole thing with culinary school is you can show up to class, go home, do whatever, and pass. And there you go. There's your... 60k or whatever the other thing you can do with culinary school is actually take it very seriously really dig in and really really just pull so much information out of these crazy resources that were there you know like the last master butcher in the world was at the cia and you know i got to take a meat class with him and like to hear from someone who knows how to break down a whole animal because really people don't know how to do that anymore. Like they come down to subprimals and then they go uh, and then they get butchered at a restaurant. You know, how many people know how to knock out an animal, take off the skin, take it all the way down to a steak that you would then get in a plate. So it was really cool to hear from someone like that and learn from people like that. So, you know, I geeked out a little bit and really enjoyed my time there. Probably not a good guy to be smarmy too. <laughs> no, he was He's, huge too. Uh, it's funny, the meat room in the school is like in the basement and the, the ceiling's super low. And uh, he like basically touched the ceiling with his head. He's he a scary German man. <laughs> He's like the last guy that made fun of me got broken down into steaks in this basement. He was in your hamburger. This <laughs> yeah, yeah. How was that tasting? Tastes familiar. <laughs> So after the scary butcher experience, what did you do then? So after uh, scary butcher, we uh, you know went through school. Halfway through, you take a pretty intensive wine class, which is probably the most cerebral of all of the classes that you take. And a lot of people are like, you know, uh, don't do so well with it because it is such a, a different. It's less kind of trade oriented and more so like book knowledge. And so they're um, not making it with their own hands. Right, exactly. So a lot of people were nervous about it walking into it. And it's a very, it was a hard class, but, you know, it just inspired me to push myself that much harder. And I really, really, I just geeked out. I loved it. I always, my, you know, my parents would drink wine when I was growing up or whatever, and, you know, have mags of yellowtail Shiraz or whatever, but they always would have wine around. And it wasn't until I started tasting wines of the world and understanding how different they can be and, and their role with food that I really understand like, wow, there's so much to learn and I'm understanding why people would kind of invest their lives in this because it's just so, 
enthralling. Like there's so much to learn and so dynamic. So I, uh, that's kind of where it started. I ended up doing very well in the class because I was very interested in it. I would like stay later after class and like, you know, talk to the professor. And then, you know, eventually after our class ended, I just said, hey, you know, professor, I would love to just keep coming back just to taste these wines, just to get the experience continually. So he let me do that. And I would, you know, after my class in the morning, I would go do the afternoon class with the wine tasting and stuff. So they didn't have wine TAs or that sort of thing, but got to really get involved with him. At that point, I was still pretty culinary driven, but had a lot more interest and spark into wine. Um, So ended up graduating from CIA and was on a track to do their bachelor's program. But kind of after that wines class, I was able to maybe see a different path that I could take. So you thought maybe not cooking, but... Yeah, maybe not cooking, but maybe a a different perspective in a restaurant. Because I still, you know, at the end of the day, I, I love serving people. I love but it, whether it's cooking or, you know, physically serving someone, it's like I'm very passionate about it. And that's kind of what drove me into doing all this sort of thing. So I think you're good at it. Oh, thanks, man. Like you're good at taking care of people, oh. I believe. Oh, thanks, from man. my own observation. I really appreciate that. Where did that come from, though? Do you think that was a family thing or did you have sisters, Are you like a younger brother or sibling? You know, um, to be honest and to get a little religious with you, I, I think it, it's very much a, a gift that I've been given. I've feel very blessed and and humbled to serve other people just as God has served me. For me, that's kind of where it spurs from, you know, putting other people ahead of yourself. So, and, you know, I see no greater joy than in being able to do that. So, to be in an industry where you get to feed off that is amazing. Like where you get paid to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bonus. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can do those verses and I'm paying the bills. I mean, did you grow up with a fairly strong religious... uh, Yeah, so, you know, I grew up going to church and um, I I still do go to church up here on the Upper East Side. You know, God very much plays in my life and and kind of in my daily just approach to wanting to serve Him and serve other people, so... What happened after culinary school? You decided not to do the baccalaureate? Right. So I decided not to do their bachelor's program, but at the end I had heard about a program with Cornell. And so I ended up applying to it. Because they have a hospitality school. Right. The uh, School of Hotel Administration. And so I ended up applying to it and was not accepted, but was that didn't deter me. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go there. I want to go there really bad. So I uh, decided to, you know, utilize that semester to then reapply for spring to, um, you know, maybe get some credits out of the way. So I ended up moving back to Texas and went to a junior college uh, in our hometown and uh, took all of the stuff that if you were in the hotel school, you would have to take outside of the hotel school. So like psychology, sociology, economics, like all kinds of random things. Use that semester to kind of prepare myself for hopefully Cornell. And I reapplied and thankfully got in. So that began that venture. But while I was there, I also took the time to kind of get involved with a couple of different uh, people around town. So I did catering with a local caterer and I also did uh, working in a retail wine shop. And oh, what was that like? It was good. It's different. You know, like it was, it's a retail wine shop in a small town that it's very conservative and doesn't really, you know, drink wine all that much. They drink it, but not crushing DRC and stuff like that. So it was uh, it was a fun little thing because the, the owners, they had a passion for wine, but not necessarily like an insane background with it. So it was, by the end of it, they gave me a lot of autonomy to kind of like start bringing some fun things on the list. And, you know, some of the customers would come back and start like, oh, cool, you brought this in. Like we had a group that would, we had like a patio where you could go drink wine and we had a group that regularly came in and it was kind of fun because they would come in and be like, oh, what did you get new now? You know, like, oh, cool, let's try that. You know, so that kind of was fun. And I cross-referenced my catering to throw some wine dinners where I would, I would cook the food and pair the wines. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. People weren't doing that in college station. So it was, except for maybe Christopher's World Grill. Uh, But, you know, for a little retail shop, it was a lot of fun to kind of utilize both passions at the same time. I find taking care of a program or organizing events as a young man can build a lot of self-respect. Yeah. I, you know, it, I never really thought about it as being a big deal, but even in high school, for some of our church events, we would, um, you know, have this thing at the end of the year and uh, it would be like a hundred kids. And 
I like did the catering for it. And my friends who are now like youth pastors at the church, they're like, I can't even imagine asking one of our kids to just like do that and trust them. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't until that point I was like, huh, I guess that was weird. I don't know. I didn't think it was weird. I was just like, oh, this is cool. I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and when the five kids got sick, you were like, hey, hey really sorry, sorry about that. Hey. Hey, <laughs> try better next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Totally Thankfully, kidding. no one got sick. <laughs> And so you're working at the retail store and then you get invited to come to Cornell. As yeah. You're, you're so accepted. Yeah, I got accepted, which was hilarious. I have to be some kind of random statistic for this small junior college in small town Texas to have sent a kid to an Ivy League school. So that was really funny. But ended up getting into Cornell and uh, moved up there. So again, back to New York. So back to New York. The so. Texas, New York, New York, Texas. Exactly. A lot of driving. <laughs> but also, I mean, it has to be different now. Oh, it's, yeah, it's super different, you like know. All these trees with leaves on <laughs> yeah, them. and they like, change colors. What's yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously, you know, yeah. less air conditioning. <laughs> oh, man, that's the worst, yeah. Um, you know, Texas just knows it, accepts it, and has air conditioning. And New York kind of tries to act like, no, 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 it's not that hot here. You know, we don't need air conditioning. <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, it's so, also known as Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Provence, Provence Rosé, you know. Right, right, right. That's the, that's the air conditioning we prefer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, did Cornell and, again, kind of got more involved with wine there and kind of pushed, became the head TA for the wines class, which is kind of a big deal at Cornell because it's the one class that the hotel school puts on that the whole rest of the school comes to. So, it had like 700 students. We'd meet once a week or twice a week and uh, would pour... 700 kids, six different wines. So, you know, it was really interesting to kind of see how it came about and over the years how they had developed some great systems for that. But man, it was crazy how many people like loved that class. So um, that was a cool opportunity. It allowed me to kind of build a good relationship with Stephen Mikowski, who is the, he was the wine professor there. I think he's still kind of overseeing things, but has kind of moved on now. But through that, you know, we'd have a lot of guest people come in and that sort of thing. And the one that kind of made an impact for me was uh, Greg Harrington. So from Gramercy Cellars. From Gramercy Cellars uh, and who used to work in the city uh, with Be Our Guest and the sort. He uh, he would come and do like a little blind tasting thing. So there's a thing at the hotel school called Hotel Ezra Cornell where the students kind of take over for the weekend. They do some dinners, they like run the hotel and all those sorts of things. Well, for that, they invite all the alumni and all these sorts of big, big people to do different stuff. And so Greg would come in and he was doing these blind tasting sessions for it. So he was there for a few days. He did one of our beverage management classes on blind tasting. And, you know, I was like, Hey man, you're here for a few days. Like, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but if you want to grab lunch or coffee or something. Because like, otherwise you're stuck on your own. In yeah, Ithaca, it's Ithaca. Bro. So, and plus I know a lot of people because I... <laughs> I'm a TA for a 700 person <laughs> class, so I might be able to introduce you around, right? Pretty yeah, much the yeah, gist was, of that conversation. It, it was a lot of fun. So, I mean, he didn't really care about all that, but he uh, he was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go grab some lunch." So, as he'll describe it, I at that point I made sure that we were going to be friends. So, you know, developed a relationship over time. And did you still stick him with the check, though? Oh yeah, no he like he's a pro. A, he's he's a good guy. He, <laughs> he took <laughs> thanks so much for your friendship and mentorship. Chip, By the way, hey, uh, can you pay for this? <laughs> I forgot to bring cash. Uh, so that's kind of where it all started, and um, so I took. So my, what was he like though? I've never met him. Dude, he's a really, really nice guy. I mean, he has had a reputation for being the scary MS. Uh, oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in an exam setting, he can be very intense. Um, but at the end of the day, he is a, a, a very uh, caring guy that is just interested in, in helping people get better. And so, you know, for me, being a 21-year-old that took my intro in a three... So this is a crazy story. I took my intro, he comes, I meet him. He's like, hey, in a couple weeks, certified in Seattle, fly out stay at my house, take the exam. I was like, dude, I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for that, but okay. Yeah, so, I just took the intro. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, no, you'll be fine. Just do it. So ended up doing that and uh, ended up passing. So it was pretty crazy. But for, you know, just that kind of sort of thing, it's just like push, you know, like just do it, like get involved. Um, and, you know, he kind of laid out the structure to allow me to do it, allow me to come hang out with him. He 
it was like, hey, let's do a little mock service and that sort of thing. So, you know, he gave me some tips and ended up, we did okay. So, and I passed, but. Congratulations. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously. No, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I'm, and so from there, after Cornell, and I was like, I want to do wine. But my uh, fiance, who I, I got engaged to, uh, who we've been dating since high school uh, at this point. And we're now engaged. What she was, was she thinking about your wine thing. She's like, she was, she's okay with it. She knows that like restaurants for me is what I wanted to do and like why I've gone to CIA and Cornell. And so she, uh, she was living in Houston going to pharmacy school. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm moving to Houston. I mean, uh, you're both selling drugs, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, uh, so she was going to school and I moved to Houston and I was like, all right, well, where you, but you hadn't lived in Houston before. No, I'd lived in College Station, but not... Because Texas is a big place. It's a big place. I mean, it's it's huge. Uh, and Houston is a big city. It's the third largest in the United States. So, um, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Behind, by capita or by um, just land size? Or? Well, by land size, it has to be one of the biggest, for sure. Um, but the uh, LA and Houston kind of bounce back and forth. But Houston is very spread out and historically had a lot of money, but it's old money and like there hasn't been a lot of life kind of injected in the city for a while. Um, but that's not what I hear about it now. No, no. Now, now I hear it's, it's like baller town. Yeah, it's like upside down. And you know, it was kind of cool to be, so I moved, I moved there after school and I'm looking around town and, and Drew Hendricks and Greg Harrington. Um, so, so Greg was the one who kind of was like, hey, Drew, like you should talk to this kid. Like it, so meeting Greg was a very instrumental piece of this whole thing, whether it be from the Court of Master Sommeliers or, you know, just from getting a my life started as a sommelier. So he, him and Drew got me an interview with the GM and it took a while to kind of get through that process because, you know, especially from a GM's perspective of a pretty wine-driven restaurant, you would want a sommelier that, you know, has a lot of experience. So they... Uh, went kind of back and forth, and because Drew worked for Papa's brothers, Drew worked for Papa's brothers. He and, was the he corporate guy. Yeah, yeah, they knew each other from both being MSs and you know having a good relationship and the sort. So after a while, uh, they ended up offering me like, "Hey, we're gonna like test this out and know that like you have you have ninety days to kind of figure it out, and if it." doesn't work out thanks but you know it's not going to be a, a good fit or whatever not like, a lot of rope not a lot of rope um and i think it took so much for drew to even get that inch of rope um so why do you think he fought for you so hard i mean honest question a couple years before there's a thing called texom and uh i, I got second place uh at the sommelier competition and that night drew was like hey if you ever want a job call me i was like Okay. Uh, so, you know, I didn't think much of it because in my mind, I would envision being in somewhere like New York or that sort of thing. Well, even from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, and then life happened and, you know, my wife was tied to, uh, was tied to Houston. And so therefore I was as well. And so we, I moved to Houston and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to call him on that and see what happens. And so I think from the beginning, he kind of saw something in me and, you know, there's not a lot of kids who are doing CIA Cornell that moved back to Texas. So um, that was another, I think, exciting kind of fun thing that was in my favor. So I, they, I got that inch and, uh, you know, thankfully and by whatever grace or, you know, just gift was able to kind of take hold of that and run with it. And that conversation never happened, thankfully. And uh, I mean, it was, a, I kind of not even think about it after a couple of weeks that it Oh was, yeah, you forgot? Like you didn't mark it on your calendar? Yeah, like 90 days. No, yeah. like to be honest, like it was something that kind of made me nervous in the beginning, but like it was very, very quickly, I like got very, uh, you know, the team and I just kind of jammed and- we Yeah, all, but on day 90, were you like waiting for that <laughs> call to the office yeah. like the whole day? <laughs> uh, Don Verba would like to see. <laughs> Don was the GM and- pretty scary dude yeah. is that true yeah <laughs> was he related to the german butcher uh yeah actually it's weird <laughs> um so you know i get that uh i got that rope and was able to run with it and so got, what's papa's brothers like in houston so papa's brothers steakhouse uh they have one in houston one in dallas is the wine program in, in texas they have a grand award uh they have for many many years been just buying wine holding it and 
you know, now reaping the benefits of that, you know, able to offer old Burgundy and Rhone and Bordeaux and whatever else you can think of at great prices because they had bought it 15 years ago. So it was a really, really awesome program to get involved with because not only did we have the wines to sell at a great price, we had people that wanted to come in and drink them. And I made a lot of relationships with people that I still keep up with today that, you know, come to New York and like, hey, let's hang out, you know, that sort of a thing. So, you know, it's it's a very interesting difference between, for me, uh, kind of the clientele of Texas versus New York. You know, being at that restaurant, you would get anyone who drinks old wine and has a cellar and that sort of a thing. And much more open to relationships and, you know, kind of just being like, they would come to hang out with you. They have the wines, they could drink them at home, but they would also come to kind of hang out and like share in your excitement and want to share it with you and that sort of a thing. So, you know, that was a, a really awesome thing and it still exists today. And I think that's one of the reasons probably why it, it's such a growing movement is there's more and more of those people and they're pouring into the younger generation of wine drinkers like myself. And, you know, they're kind of creating this energy of, uh, you know, just being a wine mecca. And I, I think that, as the years go by, Houston will be talked about on the same level as San Francisco and New York, for sure. A lot of times I find that in the South, people like to do things face to face. Very much so. You know, it's, you know, I don't know. It's just a relationship thing versus where people kind of maybe expect it up here. It's more of a, a gift or an opportunity to share with other people. So what's the average wine sale in Houston these days? You know, uh, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of California wine at the end of the day. But there's also, like at that steakhouse, it's it's not cheap uh, a place to go. So the average bottle would probably be like 120 or so with a lot of more like 150 to 200 range. And then, you know, people would come in and have a little fun, you know, drink, drink a nice bottle of Grand Cru Le Flay for like 500 bucks. And you're like, well, it's crazy because current release is like not even that cheap nowadays. So it was it was a lot of fun. And to be honest, like something that I didn't know that I had gleaned from that program that I didn't realize till I moved to New York was just how special of a place it was and how special that sort of experience is. You know, moving to New York City, I expected everyone to be just having that sort of everyday drinking stupid stuff. And there are people and programs in the city that are that way, but in general, it's not that way. So, you know, there are a lot of people who have worked for many years in restaurants and still have gotten to open some of that stuff, but not on the rate that we got to in Texas. So, you know, I, I Drew always reminded me of that and I didn't get it until I got up here. And Every time like, you asked for a raise, he's like, no, you know, you there was no raise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was, but it was more like, you know, know where you're at. And I get it now. I get what he was saying because it, it was a very special place. It's also nice to be able to build a palette on that as a younger person. Right you know, just an interesting perspective of like a lot of people, maybe my same age or experience level or that sort of thing, you know, they read about these wines and talk about these wines, but have never had the background or, or you know, the experiential knowledge of them. And so it, it's a very cool thing to be like, get what those wines are about and understand their perspective in the world of wine and why they are, why they are, you know, they truly are wines that are, set themselves apart. And so to be able to taste that kind of stuff is really, really cool. Because a lot of times when people talk about young sommeliers, they say, oh, that's the whole problem is that they don't have a lot of palate reference and that's why they like these weird wines. You yeah. Know, you hear that. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I, maybe that's why I don't like weird wine as much. I don't know. I, I Well, you embrace this and that. I mean, you probably like more weird wine than you. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm not just drinking old Burgundy, but <laughs> I wish I could, but... Uh, um, having that sort of background, I think is really kind of helps even further, you know, my ability to just grow and learn and that sort of thing. So what did you pick up from Drew? What I pick up from Drew? Well, I couldn't really pick up anything from him by asking him a question because he would just go tell you to go look it up. <laughs> That's actually a great answer. Yeah. Go look it up. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, you know, but, um, teach a man to fish. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. Um, he, taught me and introduced me to a lot of MSs, a lot of wine people. And obviously he was the one fighting for me to get a job. So uh, it was more about relationships. Right. For sure. But the whole business is probably really. At the real, end of the day, right? 
both on a you know on our side of it and then on a consumer side of it it's all about relationships so you're at Papa's Brothers for two years um, yeah, I'm there for two and a half years, and so my wife is finishing up pharmacy school, and then it comes down to, well, do you want to just get a job, or do you want to do a residency, or that sort of thing, and she decided she wanted to do a residency, so um, she applied for a few programs, and, you know, me being me, I was like, it'd be fun to live in New York at some point, so I was like, hey, let's, you know, look into that a little bit, so we came up here, she saw a few programs, came back to Texas, um, and then we, she ended up applying and ranking who she wanted to do. She put Houston first, New York second. I don't remember after that. As it should be. And <laughs> for, for anyone from Texas. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so she, uh, we, at that point, it's literally like in the hands of God and whatever else, you know, the, the system. And so uh, we get an email on match day at 6 a.m. And we both like wake up and we're like, okay open it and it says New York and we're like at that point it's not a decision it's you're moving to New York and so we both were like a little caught we're very much caught off guard by that because we weren't expecting that but we're like okay here's our adventure so we uh moved in June after that I think she found out in April or May and then we moved in June so it was really quick turnaround um I had to tell my boss that, you know, who had been giving me a lot more to do with the program and getting me really excited about getting involved that I had to leave. Um, and how'd that go over? It went better than I thought it would. But at the end of the day, I think that it was, it would be awesome to still be involved with that program, like in any sort of sense. So, you know, both of my paths have taken me in an interesting way, but this was, clearly dictated that we were taking a different direction. So he took it. Okay. You know, thankfully it wasn't, I could like blame it on the, on the system. <laughs> he wasn't like, Oh, are those 90 days over? Yeah. Wasn't like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> are you kinda, still here? Hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> we haven't paid you in months. <laughs> uh, Mason. 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 <laughs> oh man. So he, uh, he took it well, but we, then uh, moved to New York, and and at that point, um, I ended up getting a job with the Altamaria Group. Uh, started out at Costada, and uh, worked with them, which was a relatively new restaurant. I think it had been open since May, and I started in August, I think. Um, so it had but been a steakhouse. It's a steakhouse, as and well. you've done that before, and like, I've done a steakhouse, um, but way different, way different flair. So Pappas Brothers Steakhouse, classic old school steakhouse. You know, everyone's wearing like almost tuxedos and, you know, just very old school. Whereas, you know, going to Costada, it was like a new flashy version of a steakhouse with, you know, a prominent Italian chef and, you know, everything was steakhouse, but augmented towards like Italian food. So, you know, it was a lot of fun getting to work there, but the restaurant was not too busy. So I, uh, they have other restaurant and property in the group. And I offered to Fristo, I was like, who runs the beverage programs there. He was, I offered to him to kind of help out if he needed. And they had just had someone leave Ifiori. And so he was like, yeah, actually that works out well. You know, you can split your time between Ifiori and Costada and that sort of thing, which was very interesting. You know, it was actually kind of hard to do that. You know, you had to have like your mise en place like in a bag ready to go because, you know, your suits were always changing. You had one in one place, one in another. And so it was an interesting balance to keep going between two properties, but it was a lot of fun too to like, you know, very different styles of restaurants. You know, Ifiori, although Italian food and a similar executive chef, the uh, the food was way different, much more like polished, Michelin star, all that sort of stuff. So I did that for a while and then... It was uh, probably also interesting interacting with the different crews, front of the house, back of the house crews at two different restaurants. Right. You know, it took me a while to get involved with Ifiori because I was only there two days a week. And so like... It took a while to kind of like know people and get to know them and that sort of a thing. Remember who to ask if you needed bread for that table or something? Like who do you go to? You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like that kind of who does the voids? I can't remember. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was um it was you know, it took a while to kind of get involved with both, but it and at the end of the day it was it was a lot of fun. The other thing that it really exposed me to was two completely different wine programs at the end of the day. Um so they're both international lists but have a heavy focus on Italy. Well, these being my first restaurant jobs in New York City, 
it was a very much an intro into Italian wine because there's Italian wine in the rest of the country and then there's Italian wine in New York City. And what do you mean by that? There are wines here that most of the country doesn't see, you know, and we're exposed to so much older of all of those sorts of things. So this, the scope of Italy and so much focuses on Italy, I find there's Italian wine everywhere. No matter where you go, it's, this. I think just because of the way the city has been historically brought up, there's a ton of Italian people, there's a ton of Italian wine. Um, so it was, it was awesome to actually like get to dig into something that historically is a pretty daunting area to kind of just come up in, you know, uh, just studying it on a book and that sort of thing. It's like, oh my gosh, there's all these DOCGs and they make no sense and I don't get it. And then you start to play with the wines and taste the wines and you're like, okay, I get it now. You understand the cuisine, you understand where they come from, why they taste that way, that sort of thing. So it was uh, it was a really, I think, an amazing opportunity to be able to play with two separate, but also two very focused wine programs that had a lot of Italian wines. So it was great. And then, uh, how did you find it interacting with New York clientele? Did they react the same to the kinds of recommendations that you were making, or it felt similar? I, you know, being in Pappas, I think I was gifted with very much an international clientele, and obviously that's what we deal with here in New York City. Um, so there are, you know, a lot of Texas boys in in Texas, but there's also a lot of traffic from all over the world because there's all the oil and all that stuff there. So it kind of. I obviously got less of the the cowboys and a lot more of the international, but for me, it wasn't too different in that sort of a sense, just minus the cowboys. Did you find that they were as willing to spend in New York as in Houston? You know, it's, it's hard to really kind of tease it all out just because I only worked at one property in Houston and that property was a place where people would go to spend money. So, you know, I felt like people had it on a general, like a kind of a similar average, like a, around a hundred bucks. That's kind of the sweet spot. And so that was a very similar thing for me most of the time in New York. Um, but you know, the other thing was there's just random people that you wouldn't expect. You'd just be like, yeah, I'll take that $500 bottle. And like, oh, oh, okay. You know, and that would happen more often rather than, you know, in Texas where you kind of would know and feel people out and then they would be, end up doing that. So for me, that's probably what was, it, it was just more people just you know, money here, the, the gauge of money is, is a lot different because, you know, everything is so expensive. The stakes are higher, that sort of thing. So people's gauge can, where those people in Texas, you know, the $200 bottle would be a little spendy. They're in more in the 300 range, you know, that sort of a thing. So it, in New York. So I think that's probably a big difference. But did you find interest in different things? I mean, you mentioned California and Bordeaux are big and in Houston. I mean, did you find that there was a different lens? And Oh, 100%. I mean, people ultimately in America drinks mostly American wine at the end of the day, but New York is very much kind of pulling that down and pulling it more towards the international scene. So, you know, although... Uh, Sometimes people say pulling it out. <laughs> pulling it in the right direction. <laughs> oh. Pulling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so um, the balance of people who, instead of just everyone coming in you almost expecting everyone to drink California Cabernet. The conversation more often led into, you know, more international stuff. So it was cool that on the on a general sense, people you're not just constantly fighting to get someone to try something outside of California or Oregon or that sort of thing. It was more of like a conversation that you could, hey, I drink American wine, but I also like to drink the other wine. So what do you think is good? So it it opens the conversation a little more to not just be so focused on one thing. What were some of the Italian wines that first drew you in? You know, I have really, really enjoyed getting to kind of, you know, everyone's so hot about it right now, it's, but it's Sicily. Like the wines, I think, are really intriguing and they're so affordable at this point for a lot of the value that they give you. So for me, I had tasted a few. One was just the entry-level Paso Piscaro, like 07 that we had in Texas. And I was like, man, this wine is good like it's really good it's very well made and got a lot of minerality and so that was something that kind of stuck out to me but in texas like we didn't have we had we sell brunello all day you know either drink or amarone the kind of the typical ways you would think that someone who drinks a lot of cabernet might like to venture into italy so barolo much less so uh it was very much like big powerful amarones and super tuscans and brunellos but when you got to new york and you started dealing with <laughs> yeah it was like 
all you know flipped upside down. So when I got to New York and really starting to get to taste all these kind of crazy wines and all these like very specific varietals, it was really, really eye-opening and interesting how just how much there's going on. Like so many different wines to try, so many different varietals. It's literally a world in and of itself. Like it's pretty cool. Um, and then starting to get just geeked out with uh, Sagrantino and, you know, I don't know, just everything. Friuli whites to really start to understand what those are about. Alto Adige whites. So kind of exploring the classic regions, but also some of the other stuff was a lot of fun too. So what was your progression with the Altamaria group? So progression with Altamaria group was uh, started Costada, did the split time between Costada and Fiori, and then... Um, was offered, uh, they had a Psalm leave at Morea and they offered me the position. And so I was a little hesitant to take it, to be honest, because I wanted to, at this point, I was really trying to focus on trying somewhere I could kind of make a name of my own and kind of start to, I just felt like I had all this knowledge and had all this experience from getting to work at Pappas and get really involved with the program there that I would, might be able to utilize it in a, in, in a more in a more expansive sense. So I, uh, you know, with a little hesitation, ended up taking the job at Maria. And when I got there, I really enjoyed it because it reminded me of being at Pappas, you know, the place where people come to come spend money and we have the great wines and you just get to, it goes crazy and it's fun, you know, uh, very fast paced and just everywhere. It's just, you know, you wouldn't even blink about selling, you know, really expensive white burgundy or the sort. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, what was it like working with Francesco? Dude, Francesco, that guy is amazing. Like he is such a humble kind of quiet guy, so service oriented, but his knowledge and he's just a gracious dude. And I really enjoyed getting to work with him and get to know him a little bit. And, you know, I still love to keep in touch with him. He's a great guy. Yeah. I learned a lot from him just from like being in his position. He seemed like different than wine directors that were at other restaurants of that kind of pace and caliber, you know, just more down to earth, real chill. And I, I appreciate that about him. And what happened next? So at this point, uh, it was a, like a month until the MS exam. So I was preparing for that and I was doing tastings with different MSs around town. And one of the last ones I did was actually with John Reagan, who's the wine director of the Union Square Hospitality Group. And you know, we had talked before about interviewing for different jobs and that sort of thing, and nothing ever really worked out. And so this was more of like a, all right, this is just business, that sort of a thing. I'm going to do a tasting for you. So I show up and uh, we do six wines blind, little feedback. And then there's a little bit of a conversation at the end that it was just like very conversive, but like, hey, you know, we got this new project coming online. Um, it's going to be with the partners of Myelino. It's going to be a little more casual and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Thanks. Uh, I'll see you after the exam. Um, so I go take the exam. I pick up another part. I picked up theory this last year and get back and was going back to Maria. And they posted the job on Guildsum for this new venture called Marta with the partners of Myelino. And so I was um, pretty good friends. I am still am with Jeff Kellogg, who's the wine director at Myelino. How did you guys become friends? We, uh, it's so random, but again, through Greg. Uh, so Greg Harrington. Greg Harrington. We, um, so Greg was doing a, uh, a little dinner for the church group there and was like, Hey, I'll fly you out. You can, I, I would love for you to cook dinner for this little event. Um, well, that this was the same year that Jeff was doing, uh, harvest there. Cause and he did harvest at Gramercy Cellar. He did harvest at Gramercy Cellar. So he, um, uh, I fly out there and I'm helping with this and I meet Jeff Kellogg. And you know, I was like, oh, wow, this guy's cool. Like, he rutted it. And, like, so, you didn't know him very well. No, I didn't know him at all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, I like Jeff. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. For the record. Uh, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> um, so, uh, meet Jeff Kellogg. And I uh, seemed nice guy. And we kind of get along. You know, we both were... He had just passed his advance, had done very well at it. And so, I was like, wow, this is a cool guy to meet and that sort of thing. I fly back and then that's when we find out that we're going to move to New York. Well, little did I know that Jeff was moving there like right before us. So uh, I get to the city and 
think Greg was the one who's like, hey, you know, Jeff lives there. And I was like, oh, that's so random. We should hang out. So we just start hanging out. And, you know, since then I've been pretty good friends, keeping in touch and, you know, doing dinners with the wives and stuff like that. So he's a funny guy. He, he is a very funny guy. Very sarcastic guy. <laughs> it's funny when it's about somebody else. It's sarcastic when it's about me. That's the way I look at it. That's good. <laughs> um, so he, uh, he, is the wine director of Mylino, and um, I applied for the job and, you know, through his kind of like, yeah, dude, just do it and see what happens. Like, who cares at the end of the day? So, I ended up doing That's it. That's what Jeff told you. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff told me, just just do it. And so, I... Um, Jeff is a gigantic Nike logo. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> uh, so, we he... We call him Swoosh. <laughs> Swoosh Kellogg. <laughs> told you to get in there. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, so he, uh, I, e- I give my resume to John Reagan and, uh, like an email back, like almost that day, maybe the next day. And he was like, Hey, the partners of Myelino, who will be the partners of Marta, want to meet you. I was like, oh, Okay, that was fast. So schedule a meeting with them and we kind of sit down. Well, prior to me walking in, which is a funny kind of backstory, I, I'm scheduled to meet with Terry. Coglin, who is the front of house managing partner of both restaurants. And he asked Jeff, he was like, Jeff, do you want to sit in with this interview of a potential candidate for wine director for Marta? And Jeff was like, yeah, sure. Who, who is it? And, uh, Terry was like a guy named uh, Jack Mason. And, and Kelly was like, Oh no, dude, you're fine. Like it's, you don't worry about it. Like he's going to be great. Uh, you sure that's what he said? That's what he tells me. Do you have any people. tape? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's probably like, that asshole. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> Watch out, Terry. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, despite all of that um, negative uh, <laughs> setup by te- uh, Jeff, no. Um, so, uh, that kind of set me up in a good position with Terry. And so, I sit down with him and the conversation was pretty short and like very sweet. And he was like, hey, I'm going to go get Nick who's the, uh, back oh, the, of, chef. the chef and back of house managing partner. Nick and Ander. Nick Ander. And so he grabs Nick and me and Nick just kind of talk about PJ Calapa, who's the chef at Ifuria and Costada. And he's like, oh yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. And we just kind of talk shop for a little bit. And he's like, all right, you want to taste pasta? And I was like, okay, sure. And so that was kind of my interview. And then conversation kind Presumably of- Presumably you liked the pasta. Yeah, it was great. Because that, that tends to ruin things. Like, yeah. Oh, not really al dente, bro. Yeah, hey, Nick, bro. Maybe a little more roast on the stewed tomatoes. What do you think, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, he, uh, we get through that, do a few more interviews. And at this point, I'm like, you know, I'm working at Maria. Putting on seven pounds of uh, pasta interviews. Yeah, lots of interviews with pasta. Um, but, you know, I was at Maria, and it, it's a pretty high-profile restaurant. You know, it's two-star Michelin. It's, you know, at Central Park South. It's kind of gangbusters with wine, all that sort of a thing. So, you know, it, it took me a little bit of of uh, hesitation. I was like, well, you know, is this truly what I want to go in kind of a more casual thing, but be the wine director? Because ultimately it's a pizza place. It ultimately is a pizza place. So that you went to. <laughs> yeah. Went from, uh, you know, flashy high-end whole fish and pastas to pizza. Um, so we... You know, it took me a little bit of, of really kind of thinking about it and that sort of thing. But ultimately, you know, being a wine director over over assembly and really any program is the move. Um, Do you think so? I, I think so. Why is that? For me, it's a whole nother level of, it's just the logical next step. It's a whole nother. But you took it kind of early. Like, you know, sometimes back in the day, people used to work for like six years before they went out and did their wine director gig. So, right. why not? Like, yeah, so why not? Um, but also like... You know, like I kind of said before, I had, was getting really involved with the program at Pappas, and my buddy Stephen McDonald, who's now the wine director there, we we were really kind of running a lot of the back of back systems of the restaurant, doing a lot of the pricing and menu updates, and helping the wine director with the wine sourcing the wines and that sort of thing. So we're getting a lot of that experience. Well, I leave, Stephen becomes wine director there. Um, so you're jealous of Stephen. Always. You know. <laughs> You're like, that dude, <laughs> I could have been that guy. No, I mean, he he totally deserves it, and I'm so happy I'm for him. I'm totally kidding. Yeah, but I mean, of course well, you are. But, uh, you, you know, you jumped at the bit to run your own wine director. Show, right. Which is totally understandable to me, but maybe not to everyone. So why why do that? So why do that? Because it's a whole other level of... it. it be, 
you have to have the wine knowledge and that sort of thing, but it's a holistic knowledge of being basically knowing how to run a, a small business within a business, you know, balancing not only selection, but how uh, the whole list flows, having a team, having, how does that team fit into the greater restaurant? What is that perspective of the whole restaurant? So, you know, it's, uh, for me is, was something that's very exciting, you know, albeit a little bit of like, are they really going to let me do this? Like, what? Um, but so, so you're saying you wanted to challenge yourself. Exactly. I wanted that next push. And so um, I, they, you know, offered me the job and I ended up taking it and uh, started with them in July, kind of doing a lot of the background work. We ended up opening September and here we are. So what was that like? I mean, what's it like to open a restaurant? <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's really, really, really hard. Um, you know, it, literally just kind of sucks six months out of your life. There were weeks where for every single day, I would probably only be sleeping two to three hours, you know, going in super early to the home office and working with John Reagan and, you know, setting up tastings for what might be the buy the glass program, then taking the evening and doing some staff training and getting them involved. And, you know, so it was just so much to do and it takes so much time, but it's ultimately now I can like, you know, we're not all the way there yet, but now like look back and like see how much has been achieved and where the program is going and where the team is. But it's just, it takes a ton. And there's so many things that you think you think about and, you know, you have people there to help you think about them, but then ultimately like there's lots of other little bits and pieces to kind of all come together. Like one of those things was like, um, you know, I thought I had like all the mise en place and like wine openers and tools and all that sort of thing. And then someone was like, Hey, I want to take a bottle home. I was like, Oh, I don't have any wine to go bags. Like it's just weird stuff like that, you know? So, uh, there's lots of, of that sort of thing, but I was, uh, blessed with being able to, um, you know, interview a bunch of people and find three really awesome people right off the get go, which, what you did know, you look for in them? You know, for me, I feel like there are a lot of sommeliers that maybe have some good book knowledge and that sort of a thing, but not always the right personality, um, perhaps. And what's the right, the right personality? The right attitude with wine. And what's that? What is that? Uh, that is just kind of a humility with it, and kind of a an overall like wanting to have fun, less than like we all like to geek out and like that sort of thing. But we're not trying to like updo one another, you know, like or you know one up each other with. Uh, you know, wine knowledge and that sort of thing. It's more of like a conversation and an energy. And, you know, it's kind of the Danny Meyer model of the 51% or someone who is like, you can't teach personality at the end of the day. So what you're looking for is someone kind of hospitable and warm and that sort of thing. And what has been really interesting to see is the role that Psalms are really playing, you know, in the restaurant. You you always talk about it. And, and from my own experience, you are this way, but even more so at Marta, the Psalms are very much kind of like, the um, kind of titans of service. So like there, we have a lot of uh, our staff that's kind of green, uh, you know, a little bit less experienced and all the Psalms came in with pretty good restaurant experience and some great wine experience. So, you know, they have been really become pillars on the dining room for helping to direct service where myself and the other management don't always get to see. So it's been really cool to like watch these people who are open and warm be received by the staff and, you know, now the staff come up to them and ask them wine questions and that sort of thing. You know, my intent always was hoping for that, for a team where people felt comfortable enough about wine that they would could go up to the Psalms or myself or anyone to just ask questions and make it accessible. And I think that that translates to our guests a little bit, you know, and that's hopefully what we're trying to achieve is, is a fun, accessible program, you know. Whether but leading the service, like the way that a service director or floor maitre d' might have done in a previous era, but now it's the sommelier. Now it's sommelier, you know, and I I don't know if people always think of Assam that way. And when in reality, that's what we are. Like, we're there to, we are that linchpin between management and the servers. We play this kind of role to just kind of help smooth everything over and create an experience rather than just a service, you know, that sort of a thing. So it's been really cool to see. And what are some of the keys to building that kind of attitude? Well, you know, like I said, some of it is inherent in its personality, but uh, beyond that, I think it's, it's humility and that sort of a thing. Walking into a program and n you know 
you know about wine, but maybe there's always going to be someone that knows more about wine than you, you know, at the end of the day. So what do you think helps build and then keep that attitude in place? Everyone kind of collectively working together to just kind of drive that. You know, I, none of us come off that way. I don't come, I try not to come off that way. And so I just, I don't know, I just try not to even let that be a part of our conversation of just kind of being really like, I don't know how to say uppity or. (laughs) You want to be a chill guy. Yeah. You know, and. That's part of your self image. You see yourself as an easygoing guy. I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty stressed out a lot, but you know, I try to, I try to be patient with others and, and so, you know, and great, try to be gracious to others. So, um, I try to help that translate through our wine service and that sort of a thing. So. And I feel like the, the opening was pretty touted. A lot of people were talking about it. Yeah. You know, it's blessed. I mean, that's the best thing that we can say. And, you know, I just think that it's, it was an opportunity to get to do something fun and people are really enjoying it. You know, one of the things that I've always wanted to do uh, was work in a restaurant where all of my friends not only could come to it, but wanted to come to it. And, you know, my friends not only meeting, you know, people I just hang out with, but also my colleagues, my wine professional friends. So that has probably been the most rewarding thing about the program beyond like watching a team grow and a restaurant develop is like, this is a place that people want to hang out, you know? And so, you know, we do all that we can to kind of keep driving that and growing that and like looking for fun ways to, you know, offer more value with champagne and that sort of thing. So it's been a really fun journey thus far and I can't wait to see the next version of it and what it keeps growing into. Because the list is pretty well-priced, not too expensive. Right. It's very affordable. And why'd you go that route? So that was kind of a, a decision made from the top down that this restaurant is going to be what is seen as a pizza restaurant. I think it's developing into more of that more now, but you know, our kind of being realistic about it, people are going to walk in there and not assume to drink wine. Right. And so maybe they get a glass. Yeah. They'll get a glass of Barbera or, you know, whatever. So our intention was to make it accessible from if you wanted to spend $32 for a bottle of wine all the way up to a thousand, like we're going to have the, the tools there for you and everything that you get is going to be really, really solid for the price point of it. It's a pretty small list. It's like 220 selections. So, and probably 40 of them are champagne, but it's a very fun program where, you know, I try to think about whether it's my buy the glass list or the wine list about kind of put myself in the shoes of all the conversations I've had up until this point of people I've dealt with. And what do you mean by that? styles of wine that people ask for. So whether you're asking for something on the low end, you want to make sure that you have something in a more fruit driven style, or maybe something a lot more earthy, something softer, or something full, you know, able to give a style, whatever price point you want to whoever might want that. And so if you're going to get the question, you want to have the answer. Right, exactly. And so, you know, because it doesn't feel good to, you know, go on a wine list and say, Oh, I want a big full-bodied red wine and they make you spend over a hundred dollars for that, you know? So, but another part of that is maybe not so much driving the taste is looking at what it is and responding to it. Right. Not saying like, Hey, I'm super into this. So everything on the list is this, right? I mean, it sounds like you're saying the opposite. Right. I try to like, and so for me, that's the, that's the framework and the wines fill into those slots, you know? You know, it's it's kind of a, a weird way of thinking about it. It was, but I think it spurred from when I was at Cornell, we did this wine list, you know, project where we had to be really nerdy and geeky about consumption statistics and all that sort of a thing. And it really, in my brain, kind of broke down into that, where you really think about the world of wine. In okay, X men of people are going to come in and drink this sort of a thing. So, how do I build a list that looks like that? And so you know, there's so much wine, there's so many options. It's finding what's best for that price point and putting that into the slot. And that's kind of how I built the list. And, you know, I'm always thinking about the list is what, what slots do we need to fill? And let's like keep that moving. So that's kind of how I approach running this program. So you're running a program now and did you have a comfort level right away with being the face in the front? So for me, that was, you know, it was, interesting because I didn't really ever, 
you know, I kind of thought about it and kind of felt it, but it wasn't until I started to like, I, I trailed a week at Mylino and, and kind of followed Jeff Kellogg around and like saw the reaction of wine directors versus sommeliers. You know, you could be a, an amazing sommelier and treat guests really well and they'll have a certain level of respect for you and that sort of thing. But once you're a wine director, this could be the same sort of kind of conversations, but there just seems to be a little bit more weight to them. Um, so it's been really cool to kind of watch that and realize it. But when we opened, I never really thought about that way. I think I've just, my mind was more like, okay, let's just get this thing open. And you know, how do I support the Psalms, whatever they need and that sort of thing, less than like, here I am, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So has it been a different set of hours for you? I mean, obviously during the opening, you have to work a lot, but in general, is it different than say working in a different market? Yeah, I think that it's, um, well, you know, different perspectives, I guess. Uh, I, working in Texas, was at a dinner-only restaurant that was closed on Sundays. So, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. Obviously, I wasn't the wine director, but getting leading up to it, I was getting more and more involved and would go in earlier, but still, like, not all that, like, going in at noon or one and that sort of thing. Now, being a wine director, I work a ton um i go in around 10 30 a.m and i i leave around midnight to one o'clock in the morning um did you see that change coming i I knew it was coming you know especially in an opening you know like i said you kind of lose six months of your life you just you just have to do it you know the responsibilities on you there is no one else to push some of these things on it's like you're the wine team you're the wine program like get it done so it's been what's been really cool to me though too is to kind of see how wine plays in a restaurant like I was saying before how it's like a a business within a business you know it's we are given so much autonomy and kind of left alone in many aspects to do what we do because um it can be a very profitable thing for the restaurant if it's done well so it's been really cool to kind of see that side of it too where they trust you Here's the keys to the cellar. With a lot of money, really. With a lot of money. Quite but, frankly, for a young guy. You're under 30. Yeah. It's been really cool to just been trusted with that and, you know, and to deliver on that too. I mean, ultimately, being trusted with it's one thing to deliver on, it's another. So To sit down in a meeting and they say, good job, that probably means a lot. Yeah, it means a ton. And, you know, for me, it's just what's the next um, derivative of getting better, you know? So what do you think you could be better at? What we're having a lot of fun with now is this uh, reserve list, uh, kind of off list list that, you know, we're very constrained with our Marta list in that it's one piece of paper printed out. And with the amount of like fun wine people that are coming in, I'm always looking for old wine and maybe something that's a little fun or different and maybe not even necessarily Italian. So um, we kind of, after going to Charlie the Bird and seeing what they do a little bit, I thought that that was a really cool, fun idea. And so, where they have a separate reserve. Yeah, list. they have a separate reserve list as well. For me, it was it was something that I wanted to do. And and early on, John Reagan and and Sabato, who are MSs in the company, and they both were like, "That'd be a really fun thing to try to do." So it's been a lot of fun to kind of get to play around a little bit, buy from auction. It's for me, that's the next phase. Is the sommeliers are getting better. They're getting to a point where they can now kind of run and be autonomous. And I'm now able to kind of look what's the vision of the program and like look at kind of fun, different stuff instead of just buying the same thing every week or whatever, you know, you know, just stocking the buy the glass or whatever. So it's been a lot of fun. What's it been like working with John Reagan and Sabado? It's been intense, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, John Reagan, he is an amazing human being. I don't know how he does all that he does. Um, and I've learned a lot, a lot, a lot from him. Like what? Just overall, probably like very much like service stuff, but also like the business kind of side of things where, you know, he is very good at like thinking about perspective of the wine program being a business within the restaurant business. So making sure that we're doing all that we can to look good to the rest and, you know, play to all of our, all the people invested in, in the program. So, and I learned opening a little bit, he had a lot of perspective on some, maybe some other Italian wines I had never heard of and that sort of a thing. But also like, it was really cool because I wouldn't have expected him to be so kind of, he just let me do it, you know? And he would come and offer advice where it needed to happen. But by and large, like 
he let me just do everything. And I thought that was really cool because I've worked with other wine directors or people that, you know, they're a little bit more, they're very involved, but they're also like very involved where they kind of would not just allow someone to kind of do that. So I really appreciated him letting me do that. And so it's been great to get to learn from that from him, but also like just service in general and that sort of thing. Like he's, he, a lot of people attribute EMP to this day is because of John Reagan, you know, and, and the efforts that he put in for a few years to kind of push people and, you know, make sure that service was perfect. And so a lot of what I've learned from him is kind of how to just, sometimes I maybe get a little too much stuff going on and I'll get too focused on a little thing and he'll be like, no, you need to like think about this in the whole perspective. So that's been really good. So what about time management? I mean, have you had to learn some techniques to help you with that? Yeah. And I think that's something I'm continually still pushing and learning is like kind of, I guess like boundaries and that sort of thing. Cause you can just get sucked in completely. So that's been helpful from John Reagan as well. Just balancing life a little bit and balancing the role of a wine director and in, in this kind of new, you know, I historically a wine director was like not really a thing. It was like your manager and a wine person. And so like, I think a lot of restaurants still are trying to people who are investing and in saying, I want to have a wine director. There's a little bit of a balance of like, what does that look like? And so that's been a little bit of a thing with us at Marta, but we've kind of moved in the direction of allowing me to be a little bit more and more wine focused. Cause at the end of the day, like we have a wine team and you know, I write their schedules and you know, I do everything for our team. And so like I do a lot of managerial roles, but it's just a little bit more myopic and focused. So. Cause they could have chosen to go with, no team. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like it's a pizza place. It yeah. could have been like, exactly. There's a guy who does the list and he's not here right now. You know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, it was really, I think that was one of the things that kind of drove me to being interested in it. It was this like, we know how important wine is and we want to invest in that. Do you feel that when the times get tough and things are difficult and opening is hard or whatever situation might be that your faith has helped you? A hundred percent. You know, it's, it's the one thing that I can always lean back on and rely on. And, you know, even moving across the country, just always having prayer and, and Jesus to go to is it's been very much a directive in my life and, and a pillar in my life. So it, it definitely, definitely think so. Presumably there have been some hard times. Oh yeah. Cause it sounds all like a cakewalk for you, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard on a relationship. There's a, I don't see my wife all the time anymore, you know, and put a struggle in our lives. But, you know, we know that this is a season and we know that uh, we will one day be in a different position. But for now, like this is, this is a mountain that we got to climb over. So, Jack Mason, he's looking at the whole picture of a restaurant and the lens right now is Marta. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much, Levy. I really appreciate it. Jack Mason, the wine director at Marta in Manhattan. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com that's i-l-l drink to that pod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating you can donate from anywhere using paypal or stripe on the show website remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app please that's super important to see every episode and thank you for listening